for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I'd like to welcome you again to Believer's Church. Thank you again for being with us today. Uh, we're honored, whatever it was that brought you here. And I do want to encourage you again, next week is a very different, the beginning of a very different series than what we've been in in the last seven weeks So I want to encourage you, especially if you have friends that are outside of the church that have a lot of the questions that a lot of people today do, uh, for those of you listening online as well, uh, but for those of you that are in the church and and you struggle, you have no idea how many people I've talked to that constantly doubt their own salvation or constantly struggle, can God take care of me in this situation? And sometimes this goes as far as does God really exist? And a lot of times we've not created the spaces where people can actually talk about these things. Well, what we want to do here at Believer's Church is we want to make sure that we're creating those spaces because when we know, uh, we know that whenever we work through those seasons of doubt, it strengthens our, strengthens our, our faith in completely new ways that we never could have imagined if we would have continued um, in that place. So today we're in the final part of a seven-week series. Can you believe it? Seven weeks. And I know the first three weeks, I believe, or maybe the first two weeks, we actually did this on video uh, so that all of you were watching online. And now, fortunately, we're in a position to where, where we're able to meet again, which is, which is absolutely wonderful. So we're in the uh, seventh week of a series titled, Eternity is Now in Session. We are discussing salvation, eternal life, and what it means to get in the good place. We've made an effort to deconstruct our view of heaven and eternity to show what is truly meant by eternal life. So what we're trying to arrive at and what we've tried to do in this last seven weeks is to create a correct soteriology. All right, what that means, this concept of being saved, We're understanding what it means to be a child of God. Understanding that it wasn't simply a prayer that you said in a church 35 years ago or just a a, a nudge that you got within you to make some decisions that didn't last for very long or the decision that a lot of people have is they said in church Sunday after Sunday, well, one day I'm going to go to heaven, but today I'm going to continue to live the way that I want to express my own personal autonomy, my own way of doing life, and then hopefully maybe one day I'll get to go to heaven. The argument that we've made in these weeks, in this series, is that eternity is in session here. This life that you're supposed to have, this abundant life, this life of following, bringing heaven down here, actually exists now. So we're going to finish some things up by discussion of what we're going to call union. Union is what we were made for, and it starts here, not in the next world. And this union is an idea of deep intimacy with God not a casual relationship, 
Not the relationship that we've talked about where occasionally when we're in the mountains, in the woods, and we feel close to God, or maybe when we're driving down the road, or maybe just right before we go to bed, we say a short prayer, and we call that intimacy with God. Or maybe once a week we spend two or three minutes on a Bible app or a devotion that we have and just crack, or crack the book open to wherever it is, maybe look at a verse or two, and call that intimacy with God. No, we're talking about the everyday walk and the everyday life that is constantly pulling us deeper and deeper, not just into a relationship, but into a deep form of intimacy. All right, so that's what we're talking about whenever we're talking about union. We've also said that there are not three or four of these that you can get right. All right, there's not five of these that you can get right. If we're looking at the process of salvation and how this is worked out in the heart of a believer, there is a series of steps, all seven of these steps, that we go through as we embark on this incredible journey of following Jesus. So in week two, we suggested that a relationship with God is not supposed to look like minimum entrance requirements. Instead, what it's supposed to look like is a good marriage. And then we used an analogy of what a good marriage is supposed to look like. Today, we have a much lower view of marriage than what we should. But some of you in here know uh, the deep level of commitment that it takes over time. I'm sure there are some of you that have been married many more years uh, than Beth and I have. We're approaching our, our ninth year of marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a relationship of give and take that requires a tremendous amount of compromise on both parties. Otherwise, you have one person that's a doormat that is constantly being ran over um, all the time, and that's not what it's supposed to look like. Marriage is also a series of ups and, down, ups and downs in which your commitment doesn't waver simply because it becomes difficult. Now listen, I understand that there are biblical reasons for divorce, and I honor those. And I also understand that there are some situations that are abusive and completely impossible. All right, I get that. All right, but what I'm talking about is people who will just, you know, decide that they want to get out of marriage simply for irreconcilable differences. We can no longer get along. All right, I'm talking about the deep level of commitment that it takes. So if you're in that and that investment is real, over time, you should start to share. And it, it always doesn't happen this way at the beginning because you're so smitten with this person and the, and, and the love and the emotions and the dopamine that's shooting to your brain is so strong that sometimes at first you don't feel the intimate connection that you start to build as you go through extremely difficult things in your marriage. And the idea or the object of this is that you get so close to that, that person that there is absolutely nothing in this world that can break that commitment. I share that with you for this reason. This is in every way what the spiritual journey looks like. It is a series of ups and downs. It is a series of you constantly having to give more and more and more of yourself to God. It doesn't work otherwise. So there's this constant commitment that you are having to make. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. We were, we were in, a, in a, a book by Paul, a letter by Paul last week. Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to finish up this series by looking at verses 19 
uh, through 21. So Galatians chapter 2 and verses 19 through 20, uh, 21. This is what the Word of God says, all right? This is Paul talking to a church that is deeply struggling with understanding this freedom of grace while wrestling with the Mosaic law and the way that things used to be. Okay, this is what he says, and this is very extreme. It's early in the letter. He says in verse 19, I died to the law, through the law, so that I could live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live this life that I used to live that you may have been familiar with in me, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in my body, I'm still physically here. The life that I now live in my body, I live by faith, indeed by the faithfulness of God's Son, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't ignore the grace of God, because if we become righteous people through the law, then Christ actually died for no purpose. Here we see Paul describing his change in his relationship, a very good Jew, an educated Jew, a Jew that persecuted Christians. We see his relationship with the Mosaic law start to unravel this law that he considered to be so sacred and such a strong part of his life. Now he views crucifixion with Christ to be of the utmost importance. So there was this legal code that I used to follow. And as we see in the time of Jesus, when he's constantly battling the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there is this legal code that we are supposed to follow. And even though this is the first generation of Christians, all right, they are still really holding on to what that is supposed to look like. Because at this point, Christianity is not a religion in itself. It is a broken off sect of Judaism that is introducing new practices. All right, so you see in this situation some people trying to hold on to the old while also grasping the new. But what he is saying is that everything is about crucifixion with Christ, and this is of the utmost importance. Thinking of heaven, going to heaven, and being in heaven all involve one final step. And this one final step is union. And Paul describes two primary actions required that lead us to this union. So as we continue to go through this conversation, and as we continue to try to determine what it means to know God, not simply to go to heaven when you die, all right? That is not the object, all right? The object is not to go to heaven simply because you can avoid hell, the object is a deep, intimate relationship with God through the forgiveness of sins, and heaven happens to be the outcome. All right, because if we miss that first part, we're looking at heaven in the wrong way. And the argument that I'm making is that when a lot of people in culture talk about going to heaven, I hope that one day I end up in heaven, they are saying that because it certainly beats the alternative. And they are saying that because they want to be reunited with other people in their lives. But what we need to understand is that a lot of what we've been taught about heaven is fiction. And what we need to understand 
intimately is that there is a story that precedes heaven, a life that we are supposed to live, and heaven is just a party. Heaven is where we are able to go as a result of what we have done here and the decisions that we have made with our life here. So these two primary actions that lead to union, and listen, I'm going to sound like a broken record because we've already talked about these things. Notice all of these sermons, all of these messages, they intertwine and come together. So the first thing that is required of us is the death of desire. All right, the death of the desire. And, and listen, we've already been here. What have we called it in, in, I believe, week two? Say no to self. We've also called it take up your cross. We've also talked about this process of unselfing. Last week, we talked about the idea of being a new creation. All right, so we're going back to all of those themes that we've already looked at. So what you have to ask yourself intimately Deep inside, and I'm talking to people that have been in church their entire lives, because what we're doing is we're talking about breaking down a system that has many, many, many good things in it, but has also hurt people without necessarily recognizing it. Have you truly died to yourself? Has there been a time in your place whenever you can actually look back and say, I'm no longer that person? I'm not talking about the religious fluff. I'm not talking about your desire to attend church every Sunday and be a good member. I'm not talking about the Sunday school classes that you've taken part in, the small groups you've taken part in. I'm talking about a death of something within you that has occurred. And if it hasn't occurred, eternity is not in session. If we go to Galatians and look at what Paul says, he says this in 19, in the first part of verse 20, I died to the law. Through the law. So why? So I I could just go do my own thing? No. So that I could live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. This person that you knew, this Saul, this individual that we read about in the book of Acts that persecuted Christians, that guy is no longer alive, but it's Christ that actually lives within me. So please understand this. Salvation is never just salvation from. All right? We look at salvation as being from the penalty of sin. One day I get to go to heaven when I die. That's wonderful. Salvation is also salvation for. It's also salvation for the abundant life. It's salvation from bringing the kingdom of God there down to here. And the reason that many of your friends are not going to church, the reason that we see the decline of religion, of Christianity specifically, in America every single year, read a statistic a few days ago, people under 30, only a third are associated with any kind of organized religion. There's the growth of what we're calling the nuns. Don't think Catholicism. N-O-N-E-S, no affiliation, no religious affiliation, no interest, not necessarily hardened atheist, just people who are saying, I'm just not that interested. I don't need God. I can be good. I can support all these social justice rights. I can do all these wonderful things. I can be a good dad. I can be a good mom. I can do all those things, but I don't necessarily need an intimate connection with, the God, with God. This is the problem. It doesn't heal what's on the inside. It doesn't take care of the issues that are going on within you. That you can deny 
all you want to. Because remember a couple of weeks ago, we also talked about pride. So you see, we're not simply saved from the punishment of sin, but also saved for the abundant life. Saved for loving our neighbors, regardless of what they look like. Saved for turning the other cheek. Saved for forgiveness. Saved for showing that hope without being a mean-spirited individual. Showing that hope without hypocrisy or moral superiority. Showing that hope in these ways is what this means to bring the kingdom of God here. So again, consider marriage. All right? Raise your hand in here if you're married. All right, most of us. Okay. When Beth and I got married, um, we had very little understanding of the art of compromise. <laughs> Dad, that's none of your business. I'm just kidding. All right. It was hard for both of us. All right, we had a really hard time. And a lot of times, the first year of marriage is one of the most difficult times. That's when a lot of us should be screaming amen. All right. But it was very hard because we understood very little about uh, the, the art of compromise, but because of our commitment toward this union in some very, very tough times with some waves, because of our commitment toward this union, we both discovered strengths within ourselves that we never would have recognized as a single unit. All right, it never would have happened that way. And I can say today that we know one another deeply and intimately to the point that we can finish one another's sentences. So what does that say about the people in this room that have been married 20 years, 30 years, 50 years? All right, this is what happens over time. So the main task of salvation is not simply to, from an exterior perspective, make you a better person. It's an inside job. We must get saved from what's wrong inside of us. You will never produce the right kind of fruit in your life by trying to produce the right kind of fruit. Let me say that again, all right? You will never produce the right kind of fruit in your life by simply trying to produce the right kind of fruit. The inside must change. You see, Paul says that he died to the law. And there are several words in the Greek New Testament uh, for this word death or for this concept of dying. Uh, one is nekros which is a word that many of you are familiar with when you think about necrophobia or, or people who have a fear of death. It's a word that we use a lot. It, it literally means a dead corpse. All right, but this is not the word that Paul is using in this situation when he says he dies. All right, listen to this. The word used in this instant means something different. It means the closure of separation. It means the ending of the former and bringing in something completely new. Sound like new creation? Sound like what we talked about just, just last week? It's the process of saying goodbye to certain things in our lives because they are conflicting with what a relationship with God is supposed to look like and completely stepping in to something new. So when Paul says that he died, he's not talking about a corpse or physical death. He is saying that he died to a way of life, and this involved um, his autonomy and his way. 
So he is saying that in order for me to have union with God, I must die to the former. Now, the issue that so many people have is they want to fill out a church membership. They want to call themselves a, a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Methodist or, or Pentecostal or whatever that might be. They want to gain that label, but there has never been a change on the inside. And this concept and this idea of union, and I, and I should also say we are always changing over time. It's not some kind of convert, conversion experience where everything is different. It's a process over time in which we are giving more and more and more, and that never stops until we actually are in heaven. And I can promise you this, if you are in union with Christ, if you are in union with God in your life, you're in the process right now of dying to something, regardless of what that me might be. For you, it may be your prejudice toward a particular group. For you, it may be the series that you're watching on Netflix right now. For you, it may be the amount of time that you spend on your phone. For you, it's the conflict that you feel inside because of what you're viewing on your computer. For you, it's how you treat a particular group of people because maybe they don't believe the exact same way that you do. But if you are a child of God, if this union and this loving relationship is a real thing, there is something in your life right now that is a deep conflict. And there is the expectation to make this relationship, to make this marriage what it's supposed to be, that you're going to have the courage and the fortitude and the obedience to step in uh, to what this is supposed to look like. Uh, the next thing that I want you guys to recognize, uh, the second thing here, and it really ties to the first, is this. The second thing that's necessary for, for uh, union is personal resurrection through faith. Paul talks about this exactly. Personal resurrection through faith. This is what he says in the latter part of verse 20. The life that I now live in my body, do you know why he says it that way? Because he's saying, I'm still here. I've talked about death a little bit, but you guys need to understand, I'm still here. And as long as God permits me the opportunity and the time, I'm going to be here sharing this message and this word for as long as I have the ability to do so. So this life that I now live in my body, I live by what I want to do, by my personal decisions, by my view of how the church should be ran. No, I live by faith indeed, by faith faithfulness of God's Son, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul never got over that. Paul never got over the road to Damascus. He never got over his conversion experience. He never got over what it looked like and what it felt like to be blinded and then all of a sudden see things completely new. He never got over that. You want to know why? Because he was in deep union. Because he understood that this relationship is not a Sunday thing. Or in his case, this, is, this relationship is not a thing whenever I simply speak at the synagogue. This relationship is not just a thing whenever I'm presenting this new letter to the, to the Galatians, to the church in Galatia. It, it's not just a new thing then. 
This union is something that I carry into every moment of brokenness in my life, whenever my wife, whenever my husband is about to leave me. This union is something that I carry when I'm really struggling with my teenage daughter, my teenage son. This union is something that I carry when all of a sudden this sin that I'd never experienced came out of nowhere. This union is something that I work through whenever I just lost my job, maybe because of this virus, and I recognize that all of a sudden I'm drawing unemployment. What I've been doing for the last 35 years, I'm no longer doing. We carry God into every moment of our existence. Speaking of marriage, I've, I've, I've said this many times, not here, but speaking. There were times early in our marriage or even, even further into our marriage whenever we would get into an argument and the first thing I would do was get in the car, squeal out of the driveway, if that's possible in a Corolla, all right, squeal out of the driveway and go to the bar. Anytime we have an argument now, anytime we struggled in the last few years, I go straight to a room by myself and open up the word. Was I wrong? Was she wrong? What can happen so that we are reconciled back together? And it works every single time. It's union. You don't take your marriage some places and then take your ring off other places. It's something that you practice all of the time. And this is completely lost. It's completely lost on so many people, not even outside the church, but inside the church because they are so wrapped up in tradition. And they are so wrapped up in the system and they are so wrapped up in the way that things have always been done that that has become what they have union with. And often the union is not with this deep relationship with God that is constantly asking for and requiring more and more of us. Why? So we can be miserable, so we can be the unhappy spouse, so that we can struggle. No, because it's going to make us better every single time. And that's what God is seeking. You see, Paul never talks about, you have to recognize this, Paul never talks about becoming a Christian. In fact, that statement only occurs three times in the New Testament. But what he does talk about very often is being in Christ. All right, a New Testament study reveals over 150 uses by Paul in his letters of this idea of being in Christ. Participation is a central ingredient it's a central ingredient in Christianity. What do you do in any good marriage? You participate. You meet that person where they are. Salvation means participation in Christ. I say that for this reason. It's never passive on my part. It always requires action. When we're talking about this Greek word faith, the verb pistis means action on our part, not simple belief. Something crosses my mind, so cognitively I acknowledge it. No, it's I'm stepping into it. That's why when people say it requires faith, it requires something of me, and often it requires everything of me. So this personal resurrection is absolutely essential. And as we die to the former, 
we are actively giving ourselves to something new that we never could have imagined. It never looks like what you think it's going to. All right? It never looks like that. When God was calling us home, Believer's Church, Boone's Creek, never heard of it. It never looks like what you think it's going to look like. But the blessings are greater than anything you ever could have imagined on your own. It's beautiful. Everything about it is wonderful, and you never could have manufactured it as an individual. This is why it's simply not enough to be a Christian by verbal acknowledgement. I'm a Christian. That doesn't mean anything. It's not enough to be a Christian simply for census data. How would you place yourself religious? Well, I grew up in church, so I guess I'm a Christian. Okay, we'll check off that box. No, it takes everything in your life. That's what this personal resurrection means. It's Father's Day. I don't simply tell people that I'm a father. Along with my wife, I take care of my children. I don't simply tell people that I'm a college professor. I have to grade. I have to teach. I have to advise. I have to have office hours. I have to do all those things. I don't simply tell people that I'm a pastor. There is a moral obligation, and there are expectations that come along with this title. So salvation means participation in Christ. And for Paul, this meant there was an act of saying goodbye to the former while we grab a hold and gravitate to something new. So the question, as we close out this seven weeks, as we think about where we are, Are you gravitating to the new? Are you holding on instead to where you are? Or are you possibly moving backwards? Or are you, and I don't care if you're, if you're 95 years old, we are constantly gravitating to the new because that's where the zoe, the abundant life, the life you never could have imagined, it's where it is. And guess what? Here's the good news. It begins before we ever even go to heaven. It starts here. I mentioned Dallas Willard in, in, in week one or week two, and he said that his, his relationship with God, he wanted it to be so real and functioning on such a high level that whenever he died, and he died in 2013, that he seamlessly stepped into heaven, into that next realm, seamlessly, because of the way that he had lived his life here. Today is Father's Day. And today shouldn't necessarily just be a day that we recognize ourselves and go fishing, you know, take the family out to a good meal which fortunately we start church early, so you should be able to get into the restaurants that you want to get into if you're going somewhere. But we are to lead by example. We are to pour Christ into our children. We are to show what it looks like on every possible level to follow Jesus because there is nothing that we can teach them that will ever be more valuable than that.
So a recap of this series, what we've looked at. For some of you, this is your first week. For some of you, you've missed a few weeks. This is what I want you to consider. And also with your Connect card, I want to give you the, the, an, opportu- an opportunity today uh, to respond. All right, so here's the first point. Maybe, this is where we were early in this series, which feels like forever ago. Maybe salvation and eternal life are about more than going to heaven when we die. All right, maybe eternal life is more than that. And we've showed a lot of scriptural support for this. All right, maybe it's more than just a prayer. Maybe it's more than simply church attendance. Maybe it's more than trying to simply be a good person. Maybe, just maybe, if Scripture is correct, and I believe it is, eternity begins here. Maybe it starts here. And maybe if we're looking as a body of believers to go forward as Believer's Church, we need to understand that eternity is in session here. Remember, it's not all about um, getting up there, but bringing up there down here is what we've talked about. In order for that to occur, we must arrive at a place of incompleteness, recognizing that we simply can't do it on our own. A few weeks ago, we talked about this moral depletion and recognizing that as good as we try to be, And as much as we try to put forth effort, and some people even keep tallies of how good they've tried to be throughout their life, hoping that if they meet some cut, they are going to get to heaven. But maybe in reality, it's about recognizing that we don't have it all together. We simply don't because we can't, because we were born in this condition called sin. And that the only way to recognize how we can do it and how we can move forward is through acknowledging and accepting the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ that leads to all life. Embracing that, knowing that we cannot do it on our own. At this point, we trust in Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for our incompleteness, for our sin condition. For our recognition that we've tried it every way and we simply can not do it on our own. Okay, but it doesn't stop there because that's where a lot of people want it to stop. What's next? We become a disciple or a student of Jesus in this world. Because a lot of people want to say, I've checked off the box, I said a prayer. I was dunked under the water, grew up in church, enough rubbed off on me at that point, I'm fine now. And they don't understand that the point in all of this is being an apprentice or a student of Jesus and learning what he means when he says to love your neighbor. Understanding what he means whenever he talks about regular and ongoing repentance from the problems that are in our lives. Caring about people around the world that do not know this relationship with Jesus. You see, this is often what we miss. And I've said this uh, many times uh, throughout my ministry. And this is no desire to make light 
of a salvation experience. And it's no desire certainly to make light of baptism. But what I often say is if a person makes a profession of faith, wonderful, I think that's great. If I have the opportunity to baptize someone, wonderful, I think that's great. But the real question for me that I celebrate, where are they in six months? Where are they five years down the road? Have we celebrated a victory while then failed to build into people so that they can be the disciples that they were called to be? If we are going to move forward as a church, there's a reason I chose this series to start with. If we are going to move forward as a church, we need an understanding that salvation, a life with God, is not found in a one-time decision, but is found in following Jesus every single day of our lives. And if we can do that, even though we're going to have some disagreements, if we can do that in unity as a body, nothing's going to stop what's going to happen here. Nothing. The gates of hell will never prevail against disciples of Jesus Christ. If you bow your head with me uh, this morning. There are some of you in here that I've been talking to for seven weeks, and I would love to believe that everyone in here is fine, okay? And, and, and every one of us in here have accepted Christ, and we are on the right path. Uh, but I have to believe in a crowd that is this size this morning that there may be some of you that have had some conflict, all right, throughout this series, and, and you've asked a lot of questions. And you look back at your life, and you also recognize that, that what we've talked about with following, with being purged of our sins, with taking this next step, that that's just never been a reality in your life. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And this prayer is not what saves you, okay? It's the decision that you make internally, internally, to turn everything over to Jesus on this day. It's not going to make you perfect. It's not going to mean that you don't have struggles. But the promise that I'm going to make you that is that you're in a culture right now where you will have people walk alongside you to disciple you and show you what this life is supposed to look like. If God is dealing with you internally right now in your heart and you need to pray this prayer, you can simply repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I exist apart from you. And that I cannot do it on my own. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. And it's my decision to place my trust fully in you. Now, if you're in here this morning, again, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, and you prayed that prayer this morning with no one looking around, 
would you simply lift your hand to acknowledge that that decision has been made? Anyone in here today, you know that you've made that decision. Now, there are others of you that are in here today. And as we've went through this series, my desire has been that some people would have a lot of peace and they could close the door on some of the doubts they've had because they've known that they are following Jesus. But for other people, it's been convicting because you know that you've accepted Christ. You know that that relationship is real. But you're in a place where obedience is tough. You're in a place that you know you're turning away. You're in a place where you know that you're not acknowledging God every single day. And I'm going to tell you something. It takes a tremendous amount of pride to admit this. But I'm a firm believer that the greatest thing in the church is open confession so that others can pray for you. If you're honest enough to admit that, would you just lift your hand? Nobody's looking around so that we can pray for you. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, guys. On the left. Anyone else this morning? that you would be honest enough to admit that. Thank you for all of those that raised your hand. Now, if you've made any kind of spiritual decision today, you need more information about our church. Again, what I want to challenge you to do is as we get up to sing, just make sure that you fill out that Connect card and fill it out because it's not enough for us to hear someone has made a decision or someone needs prayer. We want to be able to reach out and connect. We want to know that we can pray for you. Father, we come to you again today just lifting you up and thanking you. Father, for the seeds that we know have been planted that have absolutely nothing to do with Matt Smith, have absolutely nothing to do uh, with the wonderful Christians that are in this church and also this band that is behind me. But Father, that the work that is going on Father, comes directly from you. And Father, you will reap harvest when it is time for harvest uh, to reap. Father, make us faithful people. Make us loving people. And make us recognize every single day of our lives, every breath that we take as an opportunity to live fully for you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.